You're listening to audio from the Rooted Women's Conference at Community Bible Church of Savannah. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. That's awesome. Um, Paige, next one's for you. Um, How would you encourage someone who is struggling to find their identity in Christ alone? Wow, okay. Um, Wow, that's a broad question because I think there are a lot of ways um, you could go wrong. So for me it was, you know, I was placing my identity in um, approval, but you could just place your identity in so many things. Um, But, wow, yeah, I would just say, um, like, focusing on Christ and what he has done. It's so important. It's so important to um, figure out what's going on in your heart that's sinful and then to figure out what's what's biblical and what's correct because a lot of the times, at least for me, I'll just preach myself lies Um, And it's so important to hold on to the truth and preach that to yourself, to make sure that your hope and your identity and what you're rooting yourself in, um, to make sure that that's in the right place. Definitely. And I think ultimately, just pointing back to Jesus is better than anything else, you know? Uh, I loved how you talked about that, about how, you know, we know Jesus is true, his word is true. Anything else is empty promises, it's cheaper, it's not Christ. So I was really encouraged by your testimony. Um, Next, kind of along the same lines of identity and what we find our hope in, Camille, your question is, how do you recognize an idol in your heart? Mm, um, For me, it's typically what I am thinking about predominantly. that, that will really point to, like, where have my thoughts been? What have I been obsessing over um, in, my, in my thoughts? And then kind of working your way backward to what, is, what am I desiring? Why am I, why am I thinking about that so much? What is it that I ultimately want from that? So your thoughts are really important. We're supposed to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. And so um, I have wild thoughts all the time, but it's usually when I'm obsessing and something's dominating my mind that I need to work backwards and figure out, like, what is it that I'm wanting, Lord? Why am I thinking about this so much? And it usually points back to some type of idol. Comfort, pleasure, peace, um, anything good we can make an idol out of. And I love that Paige talked about 
the thing about taking down idols is that Christ is the real deal of those counterfeits. So the, the comfort that we really need comes from Christ. The peace that we really want comes from Christ, not something that we manufacture and make for ourselves. So. And a follow-up question. Is it possible to make an idol of your church or Christian community? Uh, yes. <laughs> no, it, it is. And um, I think one thing that you can guard yourself is who's getting the glory. Because the Lord says that he will not share his glory with another. Because it wouldn't be good to share his glory with anybody else. He is all-encompassing. So if you're giving, I mean, you need to give glory to God for your church. Thank you, God, for a, a good church, a, a church that loves you and wants to preach your word and um, fellowships well. But ultimately, that comes from Christ and Christ alone. So it's who you're glorifying in the midst of that. Definitely. Thanks. Um, this next question is for both Kat and Janie. Uh, there's a similar part of your stories in that you both experienced relationships with men who are not believers. And so what specific dating advice would you give another woman <laughs> in light of your experiences? Either of you can go first. You choose. I guess for, for me, I didn't... when. Um, my husband and I first started dating and everything, I didn't necessarily fully understand what level he was on versus what level I was on. So just making sure that when you are dating and um, looking for that special someone that you might spend the rest of your life with, that you're having good conversation, spiritual conversation, that you're spending time together in the word, that you're... Um, that you're being poured into by others and that you're not just focusing on that attraction. You can't let that be the end all be all that mm, I really like him, he's handsome, he's like super nice. It, it's gotta be what's inside his heart um, that you wanna focus on and it, it's really, really hard. <laughs> um, it, I, I say these things just in hindsight but um, it, it's not easy to do these things. Um, it's a process. I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, yeah, you know, I've met people who've told me, oh, I'm spiritual. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> um, what spirit? <laughs> you know, um, I have made a, um, it's the law for me. Unless Jesus is your Lord and Savior, really, um, bye. Uh, and, and I need to know, um, tell me your story of salvation. Tell me. Let's share that. We have to share a passion for the Lord. He has to put the Lord first, and then I would be second for him. And it would be the same thing for me. And that way we don't become each other's idols. You know, and we make sure that the Lord is the center. And I have had too many experiences where that's not been the case, where I thought that through hope and prayer that he would eventually come around. He never comes around. It, it doesn't happen. So don't let yourself be tricked by that. Um, 
got to be, you know, a born-again believer if you really want to be equally yoked should the relationship go to that point where you decide that you want to have the rest, share the rest of your life together. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's, it's so cool how so many things that we've talked about this weekend just apply to every area of our life, just like in the same way that Christ is the only sure foundation that we can place our hope and identity in. The same is true in our relationships. That is the only thing that will last and that will make a relationship flourish. All the other things, the attraction, the commonalities that you share outside of the Holy Spirit, those things all can fade over time. They're not strong enough to withstand the hardships of life, but Christ, in the same way that he is all that will be enough for us. He's all that will make a true relationship stand the storms and the tests that life throws at us. So yeah, it's just, God is so good in putting all of these truths in the hearts of these women for them to share with us. So uh, the next question is for Christine. Uh, you talked last night about uh, engaging emotions. And so this question um, is about someone who was running from grief that they were experiencing. So how do I sit in and process the grief that I've been running from without becoming a mess and burdening my loved ones? What was the first part? How do I? How do I sit in and process the grief that I've been running from? How do I sin and process? Sit in. Oh, I'm like, I don't think I want to encourage you that. <laughs> <laughs> How do you sit and process the grief that you're feeling without getting totally demolished by it, I guess is the question. Yes. Um, and so I think I mentioned last evening during the talk that lament is the pathway to hope in the midst of grief. Um, and Lisa gave, you know, some helpful uh, some helpful wisdom in how to walk, you know, through a season of grief, and maybe, you know, that's a lifetime of grief for some people. But I think it has to start in terms of engaging the Lord with the overwhelming feelings that you are experiencing. And so not making that everything that's true about you, but not stuffing it down like it's nothing. We engage the Lord with our grief through biblical lament. It's the model. It's, that's how God says to talk to him about the things. In fact, author Mark Rogop says, lament is the way that we live in the poles between the hard place and God's sovereignty. Lament is in the middle. It bridges that gap between hard things in life and the fact that God is sovereign still over it. And so I think my biggest piece in terms of growing spiritually and, and finding some spiritual um, comfort and eventually flourishing would be to educate yourself about biblical lament. What does it look like? What doesn't it look like? Um, if I remember off the top of my head, the basics about biblical lament is when you go into the Psalms specifically, you see that most of the laments follow a pattern. And the pattern is turning to God, bringing your complaint, asking him boldly to do something in agreement with the promises found in the scriptures, and then committing to trust him. Four things. And 
We're not gonna do it perfect, but God does offer us hope and help in the midst of that. I think that learning and educating yourself about biblical lament and having a mentor or someone who has gone before you in that type of a grief experience, um, you can't do it by yourself. I'm not gonna encourage you to do a fix-it mentality, but turn to God's word with a trusted friend who will walk with you and not try to talk you out of your sorrow, but to sit and weep and turn to the scriptures and ultimately turn together to the Lord um, for your healing and endurance and perseverance. Along the same lines of speaking about grief, the next question is for Lisa. Um, What have you learned and what can you share about ways to walk children through grieving? a great question because children grieve differently than adults and toddlers grieve differently than teens, girls grieve differently than boys Um, and so I would just say a couple things Um, first of all is to make space for it, a lot of times children it's just so complex it's hard for them to hold that that negative of, of an emotion and, and they don't know what to do with it. So, so make um, space in your home, in your conversation, in your relationship that they know it's okay to feel that way and then talk them through it. I think children too want to, um, that grief is a negative emotion. It's called a negative emotion because it's not like happiness or joy or, but we know it's a necessary emotion and, we, we, and it's given to us by God for a purpose, right? So to um, continually open that conversation. Kids will, small children especially, you will see them like look normal. They're running around the neighborhood playing with all the other kids and they, they don't look like their father just passing away is bothering them. Um, but it's because they can't, we sustain that grief. We can hold it um, throughout our day and we go through a period, but they, they, it's so difficult that they go, come in and out of it. And I know my teen boys especially, I noticed with them, they, would, they wanted to be normal. They, um, our church was doing a sermon and they wanted some illustrations of people getting up with like a poster saying, you know, this was our problem and this is how God fixed it. And they asked us to do it. And it was only a couple months after Dan passed away. And I thought for sure my kids would do it. And they all were like, no way. No way, mom, we are not standing on the stage with a sign. And it's not that they didn't know that that happened. They didn't want to be identified. When they were in school, when they were in with teens, when they were in youth group, when they were, they just wanted to be kids. It's a place for them to come out of that hard place of grief. And so that's okay. Um, But they might not return to those hard conversations. So I think as parents, we have to use books. We have to use good questions. We have to continually bring it up. Like, Daddy would have loved this. Do you remember when? And that opens a conversation very easily with them. Thanks for sharing that. Um, Camille, how have you experienced forgiveness producing freedom in your life? Uh, (laughs) Um, Through a lot of years. (laughs) And so I don't know if I can answer that question in just a few minutes. Um, We told... Say it again. How have you experienced forgiveness producing freedom? 
So that could be answered two ways. I'm not sure how they asked it, if it's experiencing forgiveness for my own sin or experiencing forgiveness from somebody else's sin against me. Um, but I'm gonna assume since there's freedom that it's freedom in Christ, um, especially when you talk about something like abortion and Christina really appreciated, you know, reading that passage is hard when you talk about how the hearts of moms can turn against their children in desperate situations. And I think that's so much like abortion. And um, I'm just, I'm so thankful for the Lord's mercy and his grace um, that there is nothing um, that God can't save us from. His word says that he saves to the uttermost. And I don't know, abortion, um, those who have molested children, I mean, things that we think of are the most heinous sins on this earth because it is so destructive to another image bearer. It's so heavy, we feel it, right? Um, Christ died for that. And... Um, God put his own son to death so that I could have life, even though I put my own child to death in, in an abortion. And so um, there's freedom in that. And when God, I think for women who have these secret sins, we were talking about secret sins at, at lunch and how heavy, so not just abortion, but maybe adultery or same-sex attraction or something that we know is just so heavy um, on our hearts and, and what we work through that um, just to know that um, nothing surprises God. He knows our hearts. He knows the depravity that is, is within us, um, but he made a way of salvation for us in, in Christ, and there's freedom in that. You can't but there's also sanctification. So there's a healing that when you go to God's word and you dive in deep with your heart and we're talking about um, the idolatry behind an abortion. So there's always sin that's behind our sinful acts. So even adultery, there's sin behind that sin. And if we don't sit with the Lord and process through that, through his word and renew our thinking and let him change our hearts, and heal our hearts, then we're not gonna walk around in freedom. We're only gonna know we're forgiven, but I think we're gonna still be bound up in those chains. So it's only when you realize that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, and you know that truth because you have soaked in God's word and he has transformed you with his word. Um, I love Psalm 107.20 says he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from all their destructions. His word is powerful. We need it to be renewed and to be able to walk in that freedom that he's given us. And likewise, I think, you know, that's how we're able to forgive others. And if we're not forgiving others with the same, forgiven, with the same forgiveness that we've been given, you will walk in chains and you will be bound um, because it is for freedom that Christ has set us free and we are able to forgive others. That's really powerful truth. Um, Christine, the next question is for you. A lot of what you shared this weekend um, has been about your own experience with depression. And so in light of that, 
um, what advice would you have for a mother who has a teenager dealing with depression? Yeah, well, I'm sorry. It's hard. It's really hard. Um, and it's something that our family has walked through and God has been more than gracious, but the stories, you never know if it's over. You know, you can never say, oh, well, that's, they're all better now. I think the, one of the biggest things that we learned, even as a family, so I'm just gonna share the comforts that God gave to us with you, like I talked about in the breakout session. Number one is to care for your child as God cares for his despondent children in the word. And there are biblical narratives that show us the master's care. If we look at God the Father and consider him to be a great physician, which he is, we can model our care, our compassionate care, that he gave to his children to our children. And you don't see a God in the Bible coming down on his despondent children with rebukes and harshness and telling them, you've got nothing to be upset about. Why are you so mopey all the time? Just get over it. Stop being so moody. You know how good you have it? I mean, there's awful, awful things that can come out of our mouths when our children are suffering in a way that we don't maybe understand, maybe we don't agree with. We're trying to invalidate their experience. They shouldn't be feeling like this. We're a Christian family. We don't deal with this in this house. Not helpful. And God does not speak to his kids that way. We can look to, Jer uh, we can look to how he deals with Elijah. Elijah and Elijah's death wish and how tender and long-suffering the Lord is with Elijah's despondency in, in that time. It's, I, think it's, I think it's First Kings. Don't hold me to it. It's actually in my book. I have a mini book coming out. It's available for pre-order called Help My Teen is Depressed, and so all the references are in that. But even the way that God cares for Jonah, and how Jonah wanted to die, and his anger. And oftentimes, depression is sadness plus anger. And so we see a lot of anger in our kids sometimes when they're walking through depression. And how does God care for him with that? Even Moses himself said, Lord, this is too hard for me. Take my life. There are narratives in the scriptures that help us to understand how to compassionately care for our children. But if we come at our kids seeing them as a problem to fix instead of a person to love, we're going to fracture that relationship and do so much damage. We need to look to God and model our care after him. And what a great reminder that he really has given us everything we need in his word. You know, you wouldn't think of that being something that you would find such a clear example of in scripture, but it's there, just like so many other things. So thanks for that. Um, the last question we have is open for everyone. So everyone feel free to share your thoughts. Um, in the world that we live in right now, social media is such a strong presence and can have such a grip on our lives. Um, and so the question specifically said, what would you share as help for teenage girls who are hooked on social media, but I'm not a teenage girl and I'm, know plenty of people my age who are just as hooked. So I think just for women in general, looking to social media constantly 
Um, what truth can you speak into that? We, we, yeah, why don't we do a line? Yeah, that's good. Um, first of all, I would say don't look to social media for your validation. Um, you know, I've, I use social media. I'm not hooked on it. As a matter of fact, it annoys me, but I use it because <laughs> you've got to use it when you're marketing whatever it is you have to market. So that's what I really try to use it for. I do find that I've discovered some interesting things through it, too, that I, I don't know how people have the time to do the research, to post these amazing, you know, interesting information, but they do. And so I learn things through it, too, but I'm not obsessed with it. And I certainly don't use it to... Um, to share my life stories. I mean, if there's something interesting that I've experienced that I think somebody else might benefit from, I'll share that. But that's how I choose to use it. And um, I also accept that when people take pictures of stuff, that's during that wonderful moment in their life that they're sharing that moment, but that doesn't necessarily reflect their life. And so, um, there's, for me, there's no comparison. I don't ever find myself comparing. And if there's something for me to be happy about and to congratulate somebody about, then I'm happy to do that. That's how it works for me. I think for me, um, limiting, finding ways to limit your time in that the, um, yeah, the time that you're spending on your phone or on a computer going to these specific social medias, whether it be Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And I mean, I'm kind of at an age, mid-20s now. There might be stuff that I don't know exists that you guys know about, but um, just finding ways to fill your time with other more beneficial things like reading your Bible or spending time with friends and family. Um, there are different limits or um, ways that you can, um, I guess, more apps <laughs> on your phone and stuff that you can use that will shut down some of these things after a certain period of time. So if you want to limit yourself to say, okay, I only want to be on these different sites for 30 minutes throughout the entire day, and you can set up something that will shut down that app or that website for you um, in that 24-hour period once you've hit that limit. Um, so that is an option. See if I can share this without going into like a whole nother presentation. Um, I've been thinking about this recently. I had a um, kind of a heavy counseling case um, with a, a couple and man, things were changing like sometimes hourly between the two of them. And I was like, what the heck is going on here? And it was like, oh, they're texting each other like all the time, all this new stuff. So. You know, we'd have this information one second and give counsel one second, and then some conversation would happen instantly and it would change. And God really started showing me we are living in a day and age where technology is giving us a false all-knowingness like God. Like, we know things that people, like our grandparents would be like, I didn't know those things until somebody wrote me a letter and I got it three months later. Like we know things so instantly now and just all knowing we can get on and find out all information and only God can handle being all knowing because he's all loving, all wise, all good. So I think just keeping that in mind, like it's really not good for us to know everything about everybody. So 
guarding your own self from putting all your stuff out there. And it's a, it's a fake, it's just a way to be like, I'm out there for everybody. When God wants you to sit one-on-one -on -one and share your heart with a wise Christian believer who can give you counsel from the word and pray with you versus typing a fast comment or giving you a thumbs up like, or a, you know, I don't know, when we're gonna get the breaky heart emoticon, but we need that, I guess. But so, so just keeping in mind that it robs us of that intimacy with the Lord and running to him when we run to social media or we wanna make our lives look like this or that or we, we've gotta know everything that's going on with everybody so we can keep up with people all the time. It's not good for us. We weren't meant to be that way. So um, I like what Janie said, kind of there's, there's things that we need to do to cut it off. If your arm causes you to sin, hack it off. And so find ways to do that if it's causing you to sin. I so affirm that, that it does um, give us that false sense of all-knowingness, and it also gives us a false normative, because, um, you know, we grew up, some of us here, in an, and we were forming our thoughts and our identities and our perspectives and who we are, we're forming, not in a social media era, and when I go on there and use it, um, I'm, I'm really... I'm really stunned at how unnormative, it's not, it's not a typical, that's not how we are, that's not how we relate, that's not how we live, that's not how people look, that's not how I look in my home, that's not how my home looks, that's not how we parent, um, and that's not how, you know, teens are, you know, most teens don't have a, you know, $2 million, um, you know, um, glitter business or... <laughs> <laughs> You should see what comes up on my Instagram feed for my 12-year-old. She uses, I let her use mine. Um, so all that to say that we have to go back to um, what is normative. And um, you have to, um, you're, we all go to social media for something. We go there because we're bored. We go there because we're curious. We go there because we want likes. We want our self-esteem boosted. We have a lot of reasons we want um, the social. We want the social of people. But it's, it's never gonna satisfy. And it can become addicting where we're just on there past the point of what we went originally and we can't get off. And so I think too, as in anything, we have to find the right places to get that. You're gonna have to get that from your own friends. You're gonna have to get that from your own family. You're gonna have to um, satisfy your boredom in other ways. All of us do. But I think teens especially are gonna um, need to know that that's right and good and healthy, so healthy. And honestly, I think if, you know, when you take the lead as a teen to do that, you might find others follow. The vast majority will go to the easy route, which is to stay on social media and get all of their needs met or try to get them met there. Um, but they will watch you sewing into your friends planning things with your friends, um, sewing into your family, finding relationship, and um, that, and they will watch that and, and hopefully follow you in that. So my perspective might be a little interesting because I actually don't have social media. Um, it's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> um, 
that's, it's kind of been a family rule, um, just, you know, we're not, we're just gonna stay away from social media, but after 16 years, I've, I know myself by now, and um, I just don't want it. I just, I've seen the effect it has in the lives of my friends and my family, um, and I don't, I would not go as far to say as social media is inherently evil or anything, but man, it can be so hard, and I, um, I go home to Kentucky and I have my cousins, I'm sitting at a table with my cousins and they're Snapchatting each other across the table. I'm like, what is this? Like, talk, y'all. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's crazy. And I, it, not everybody takes it that far. Um, and they were kind of messing around. But still, it's like, um, is your time on social media, is that pleasing to the Lord, you know? Um, or is it becoming an idol? I don't have it, I don't want it, because I know it would become an idol in my heart. I know it would. Um, and I just don't want to, I just don't want to have anything to do with that. I just don't want to set myself up for failure when I, I think I would fall, I think I would fail. Um, and especially, I mean, with everybody, but with girls our age, it's so easy to get caught up in the feed, you know, and um, liking pictures and, oh, oh, so-and-so liked my picture, but wait, so-and-so didn't. And it can easily become an idol and it can become a distraction. Um, and so I would just say, just check your heart, like really dig down deep in, um, if you're on social media, why? And if you're spending a lot of time on it, maybe you should do what Janie was saying and put some restraints on yourself. Um, or maybe for you, if the first thing you do in the morning is wake up and check social media, um, or get on your phone before you're reading the word of God and spending time with him, what is that saying about where your desires are um, or in who you're trusting or in what you want? Um, so, yeah, that's, that's it. If I could just finish and maybe make more of a comment to the parent of a teenage, I don't remember exactly how the question was worded, so I'll just take that. Um, I think... Sometimes it can feel like our, our phones, like there's this phone and it's here and now we have to deal with it. But we don't actually have to have our teenagers have the smartphones. I don't know why we feel like there's this pressure that they have to have them. I'm, unfortunately, Brianna might disagree because sometimes she has a flip phone um, so that we can call and text her, but she doesn't have you know the internet access there and sometimes she can get made fun of for that, which is kids being not very kind. But at the same time, it's not as if it's like the phone puts itself on me or puts itself on the kid. Like we, we invite it into our homes. And then because for whatever reason, maybe, you know, for our family, perhaps sometimes we're tempted to, okay, well, they're on their iPad or they're on this computer well, I don't have to engage with them. I can now do whatever I want. I want to watch a Netflix show. I want to watch The Crown. I want to take a shower and not have anyone bother me. And now all of a sudden, we're substituting time with our family for, okay, they're being, they're being taken care of and engaged, and now we're all just kind of doing our own thing. And we've invited that into the house. It didn't show up. It's not a part of us. Um, so I think we just need to be mindful because sometimes in these conversations, we can act as though it's happening to us so you bought it, you spent a good amount of money buying it, so you brought it in. The kids don't 
need to have $1,000 computers in their hands. Um, and sometimes we don't even want to have that temptation. And so I'm not trying to say no kids should have any cell phones, but I do think it's wise to say, are we treating this as though it's something happening to us and we have no control over it? Oh, we have the social media problem in our house. Well, what? But, but you're the one who's putting it there. You're the one who's inviting it into the home. And so um, I think it's a worthy conversation, but you know, naturally the kids are going to get pushed back from their friends. Why aren't you on that? Or if they ride the bus or even if they socialize, when we have, you know, some of Brianna, Brianna's friends over, it's all the time is the phone. Like everything has to be documented and shared with someone. It's very difficult to navigate. And so I think, of course, a lot could be said on the topic, but just understanding that the phones don't have control. Like we, we're the ones <laughs> that we should be exerting control over. And like Camille said, if we do need to set up some parameters, that's not necessarily behavior modification. Sometimes it's just wisdom to cut things off and to say, no, we will not. Um, and then if we choose to be on social media, how can we glorify God through it? Um, because it can be a redemptive tool. A lot of my ministry is done on social media. People who learn about the podcast and the different things I have going on, and I know um, the other speakers use social media for redemptive purposes as well. Not to say there's not temptations in that even, but you know, can we glorify God even through this tool to help make Jesus more known among people who desperately need him? Because even in a day of connectivity, there are still our neighbors across the street who don't know the Lord. There's still a word to be reached. We're missionaries even in our neighborhoods. So, just a couple closing thoughts on that. Can I just piggyback on what you just said? Okay. Um, I just want to say also, Scripture tells us um, to practice all things with moderation. I mean, that's no more than eating or shopping or drinking or whatever. You know, the social media is just another thing in our lives that we're supposed to use moderation with. Definitely. Um, and I think... I mean, along with everything else that's been shared this weekend, it's so awesome that so many women with so many different experiences, um, different ages, stages in life can all speak truth to all of us. And so um, we just wanna take a specific time to thank all of you for sharing your hearts, your lives with us so deeply. Yeah. I know you've ministered to me personally. I'm sure everyone here could say the same. And I would encourage you to find these women and give them that encouragement whenever we're done here this evening. Um, so yeah, thank you guys for being here, for being so honest and open with us. Um, and praise God for you and everything that he has done in and through your lives. So I'm going to pray and we are gonna have the band come back up and finish our time here. Um, but I hope that you have been encouraged. I hope that you are gonna leave here this evening with a new, fresh perspective on who God is, on what he wants to do in your life, on how steadfast, how faithful, how sure he is and how much he loves you, because that is true. That's always true, no matter what season we're in, no matter what storm or valley or mountaintop we're on or in, those things are always true about God. He loves you, 
he is what is worth putting your hope in. And so I just, you know, my prayer ultimately is that um, that has been refreshed in our hearts. Or if you've never heard that before, you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you know, my prayer is that you are leaving here with a new understanding of who God is and the abundant life that he wants for you that can only be found in him. And so uh, the band's gonna come back up and we're just gonna end this conference expressing our gratitude to God, loving him, worshiping him for who he is, for what he's done, for how he's revealed himself to us, for the chains that he's broken in our lives. We're just gonna end our time and respond in that way, telling him we love him, that he's good, and that we are going to trust him. We're gonna leave this place not the same, and we're gonna continue to walk with him, knowing him deeper. So would you pray with me?